everyone, and welcome to the 41st episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is one of your hosts, Puking Platym3. And this is Yuletide Yangus. Ho, ho, ho. What the? Yuletide? Yangus, I thought we talked about giving ourselves some spooky sounding names in honor of Halloween. Well, yeah, but, you know, I figured we could go for a you know, nightmare before Christmas sort of thing. You know, you have the Halloween side of it. You know, Simpsons Treehouse, a horror-style credits name. And mm-hmm. mine would be a more uh, Christmas-themed one. Besides, do you know how hard it is, to, or how hard it was to find a word that starts with a Y to go with my name? Yeah, that was the scariest part of all. You didn't Google it. But, hey, it was a real challenge there for that legendary bandit himself. Yeah, challenge. Hey, you know what? Never mind. Uh, we should get on with the episode. What? Wait, 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 wait. And just have a short intro? Not on SideQuest, my friend. No. To pad out the time, let me uh, reach over here. Got some books on the shelf. I'm going to read some of the Halloween-themed books that my kids have been... All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Halloween is indeed the theme of this episode, because tonight we will be talking about some of the scary games we've played this year. But what about my stories? I got a whole stack of books here. I've been practicing all freaking month long reading these damn things. There, there, Platy. Someday you'll get to flex your narration muscles. Ugh, all right. So we talking scary games again then, right? Yes. If you are a regular Slime Time listener or SideQuest listener, I mean to say, <laughs> you probably know we've done a scary games themed episode for the Halloween season in the past. And this year, we decided to bring it back. Uh, Basically, this year, we actually ended up doing both of the um, scary sort of themed episodes we did because we did our Ghostbusters episode this Mm -hmm. year, which is kind of our part one for Halloween, and this is our part two. So prepare yourselves, everyone, for evil residents, miserable piles of secrets and scares that make you jump. Ooh, scary. Sounds like we need some help, though, here. Uh, Luckily, we have a pair of returning guests to help us out tonight. Please welcome Diabolical Drippy Star Slime and Madman Mattcraft. Hello. Hello. This is recorded, Mattcraft. Hello. (laughs) No, you need more of you need a bit more of a southern accent on it. (laughs) Damn it. Caught me there. It's okay. Well, uh. Yeah. That's yeah. the scariest part of all. I didn't have the accent there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. So now then, what game shall be our first on this haunted ride we are about to embark on? Well, I figured we'll start first with uh, Madman Mattcraft, uh, Mr. Second Shift Worker himself. He could not join us live tonight, like uh, most times, but he did call in ahead of time to talk about the video game Sweet Home. So I'll uh, insert his part right here. Take it away, Matt. Good evening, good evening. This is Matt Craft, and to bring you something spooky today, I'm going to tell you all about a rather lovely game called Sweet Home. Published by Capcom for the Family Computer or Famicom, meaning we didn't get it, in 1989, it's based on the Japanese horror film of the same name, and it tells the story of a group of filmmakers exploring an old mansion in Japan in search of famous paintings. Of course, when they go in, everything goes to hell and ghosts pop out of literally everywhere. The game starts its horror undertones by trapping you in the front foyer of the mansion. Lady Mamaya, the wife of the painter that you go in, paintings for, swiftly says that you are trespassing in her domain, destroys the front door, and blocks you in. So from then on, you spend the rest of the game finding out 
about her actually very, very tragic backstory and going through several Halloween movies worth of horror tropes and things of the like. The overall art of the game is amazing. The sprite work is very detailed, although the backgrounds of the mansion can be a slightly bland. You'll find that it has every possible horror movie trope of monster, ranging from melting zombies to ghosts that try to knock you down. I really cannot stress enough just how gorgeous the sprite work in this game is, especially towards the end. And furthermore, the game itself has a lot of, I'm trying to think of the word here, there's a lot of things that can happen to you. I'll just put it that way. There are traps, pitfalls, everything you can think of. Just like how in Resident Evil, five minutes in, it wants to turn you into a Jill sandwich. You'll find a, a room that has nothing but a giant uh, pit of quicksand in it that can quickly kill your entire party. And by the way, I haven't mentioned this yet, but if a member of your party dies, they don't come back. And once all five members of your party dies, it's game over. You don't want to let anyone in your party die. Each member of your party has special items or skills that will help you progress through the game. For example, one of the members of your party is a professional restorer whose special item lets you clean the frescoes or pictures of the famous Mamaya as you go through the game and they give you hints and bits of story lore to help continue the game along. If she dies, well, it's kind of hard to progress. All in all, Sweet Home is one of the best Nintendo games that's actually out there. And thankfully, I can say Nintendo because we had a couple of very intrepid people translate the entire game for us in 2016. I actually went through the trouble not too far back, say maybe a year or two, but it's still fresh, of doing a playthrough of the game. And then I went through the trouble, and trust me, it was trouble. It's easier to find now, but the game is based off of a movie. And beyond, go beyond saying that it's one of the best movie-to-game adaptations that's out there, the movie is a very classic, campy Halloween horror romp with the B-movie style of buckets of gore and everything else. Angry video game nerd would love it. <coughs> Sweet Home happens to be on one of my favorite lists of RPGs you will have to try at some point. And I wholly recommend it, especially if you're going to try playing it on a Halloween night. Just don't let me and Lady Mamaya get you. Thanks, Matt. Sounds like a good one. All right, Yangus, you want to uh, go into one of your first games? Sure. You know what? Since uh, Matt Craft was talking about homes and houses, I'll talk about my first game, which features a home of sorts, or rather a Sweet. mansion, a jump scare mansion, a very spooky jump scare mansion. I don't know how many times I can keep this going. Uh, yeah. So first game I'm going to talk about is uh, Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion HD Renovation, uh, which actually I just found out uh, recently celebrated its eighth anniversary uh, last week. Uh, we're recording this on October 30th, and I believe it was last week on the 24th that uh, it celebrated its eighth anniversary since its release. Uh, it just actually released on the Nintendo Switch um, on October 13th. It was kind of a surprise announcement. Uh, I found out about through uh, Gamatsu.com, so I was pretty excited to hear about that. Uh, anyway, uh, Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion, as, as the name implies, is a 
uh, horror base game where you have to get through this uh, mysterious mansion that's on the top of the hill on this at a, in a, or next to a nearby town. Oh, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> I can't talk tonight. It is a mansion located near a town that's haunted and nobody knows what's inside of it. So your player character is an investigator going in to check it out and see what exactly is uh, going on with this place. Uh, inside, your character meets the titular Spooky, who tells you you have to get through 1,000 rooms in order to uncover the mysteries of the mansion. And as you travel through the mansion, you start to encounter these strange creatures all labeled as specimens. Uh, you have a simple one that just jumps out at you. It looks like a little cardboard, a ghost, or a slime. Then you have some more uh, terrifying ones, such as a a Japanese spirit from, I believe, like the 1400s or 1500s. You have a demon that uh, was conjured up by, according to the notes in the game, this restaurant chain that was failing, and some other creatures and such like that. A lot of these uh, specimens and creatures you encounter are all uh, references or based on uh, some other uh, horror properties or scary properties. Uh, for example, like specimen number five, uh, which is um, referred to as the name B.A.B., uh, is ref is a, a reference to uh, Pyramid Head from Silent Hill 2, for example. So you can tell that there is a lot of uh, you know love for some different uh, scary games or just kind of like scary monsters ideas from movies and TV shows, video games, all that good stuff. Um, let's see here. Let me go to my notes. So how uh, are so the graphics on this? Because I was watching a when you brought it up a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I, the number 1,000 was just like, what the hell? That's a lot of rooms. Um, I went into YouTube and looked, and I was like, oh, damn, this this is like, I, maybe not that old, but I was like, this is like Wolfenstein, like on my 386 back in 1992. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um... The game has had, like, a few different releases. Uh, The original version of the game, a lot of the characters and sprites and models were all just, like, 2D images that would come and chase after you. But with the Mm -hmm. HD renovation, um, and just because this is made by a smaller studio, Albino Moose Games, um, give a Mm shout-out to them before I forget, um, they were able to go back in with Unity and make these 3D models and update graphics, textures. Uh, They've added in some new uh, content for the game as well. Like, they've added a hospital section and a dollhouse section as well uh, both of those are their own little stories you can play uh whether before you play the main game or after uh, there's also an endless mode too if you want to just keep playing which you can actually run into some new specimens in that one as well but um presentation wise the game does keep things pretty simple it's you know very kind of cartoonish graphics at first like the little uh like the little cardboard guys that come out of the walls you know they're pretty cute cutesy looking like oh it's a scary skeleton oh no but they actually do uh, play that up as the game goes on more and more, where you start finding, um, we'll just say, a little more uh, distorted and creepy versions of those same cutout things, particularly the skull face that can pop out of the wall sometimes. I had that once where I was uh, walking backwards away from one of the specimens you have to keep your eyes on, and all of a sudden my character stopped moving when I got to the door. I'm like, well, why can't I move? Well, I turn around, and here's this like creepy skull face right in my face. <laughs> turn the camera around. So that one got me. <laughs> So presentation wise, like I, I do think that uh, this game really does excel with its presentation because graphically it is pretty simple, but it, I think it works really well in its favor too because what really helps sell it is the sound design and just the build up to these creatures as well. Like 
when playing this, like even during the daytime, like some of the sound effects you would hear when you were walking around in the mansion in different rooms was like, is that was that my house or was that the game? I couldn't tell. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that. And um, my favorite part was definitely the little notes that you find as you go through the mansion. Uh, they kind of help detail some of the specimens you're going to be coming across, like kind of letting you know uh, whether if it's somebody who just encountered it before they were uh, killed off by it. Or it'll be um, sort of recollections of like some of the things that uh, other other people who have gone into the mansion have encountered like one of the first ones you come across is a man who keeps talking or you know man or woman don't really it doesn't really specify um where the author keeps mentioning oh this place is not very romantic at all i'm feeling quite parched and thirsty luckily i found this strange bottle of wine just things like that to kind of help give some Mm -hmm. details and what some of the other people have experienced who have gone into this mansion and i thought that was a really good uh, way to kind of help build the tension not only to um you know some of the other people that traveled there but some of the creatures you come across because that i thought really did a good job i don't want to keep repeating myself but the notes really did help you know get you into the situations and sell it and like matt or uh, excuse me platy you know this one very well like i'm a big fan of the etrian odyssey series which you know doesn't really go like all out on presentation but the way it conveys things through text and like the cues and everything you know really mm-hmm. helps sell what you're going through so i really enjoyed that about uh spooky's uh jump scare mansion uh the biggest scare i do want to mention this one that really got me uh was from one of the random rooms you can find so this was uh not a specific like specimen or creature you can come across because they will you know after you first encounter them they can show back up again later just kind of at random points i i do i should mention real quick too that you know it does say a thousand rooms you have to get through but all these rooms are like super quick like i think i beat the game in like roughly three hours or so oh wow so it, it's not it's not like a, a super long game like these rooms are usually uh pretty quick to get through and you have a sprint button too so you can run through the rooms and you definitely need it to outrun some of the uh specimens that chase after you uh-huh. and they're they're all like a randomly generated or or procedurally generated it's kind of like how if you played a um a mystery dungeon game like Every time you would play through the game, like the rooms would always, they're sort of like the same set kind of rooms, but they're always going to be like in different orders. So there's going to be little things that are different every time. So it's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to run into the same things like every single time, like every playthrough, other than the rooms where you, you know, you have to encounter the creatures for the first time. But uh, anyway, um, one of the things that really scared me is one of the rooms you can come across. So it starts off as this looping hallway with a locked door and you really can't go through the door. So you go down it. Well, then you start noticing that this hallway keeps repeating itself constantly, almost like it's doing like a zigzag sort of shape. Well, anyway, as you're going through, there's a random point where this ghost and spirit type creature, I, it does have a name within the game files, but I just don't remember it. And I just didn't look it up before we did this episode, but this thing just can pop up at a very random point when you're walking down these hallways and it comes flying at you scream it turns the screen black oh my god scared the shit out of me (laughs) i first encountered that and every time i came across (laughs) that particular room where i and because you can always tell when it's coming too because you'll start seeing like a filter on your screen looks like old like um footage that's been recovered every time that was kicking i would start i kind of noticed the room pattern for i'm like oh no I honestly got to the point where when I would go through them, I would just have my character constantly facing the wall where the door is because where the ghost comes from is like when you first are turning down that hallway. So it's like if I don't look at him, but I hear the noise, I don't have to see him brushing at me. <laughs> I've never had a game do that where I'm like, even though I know that something could happen or it might not happen, or I just was like, I can't look. I can't look. I don't want to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I really enjoyed about this game. Just the how, even though, you know, it's got a little uh, easier on the 
or, or not easier, sorry, that's the wrong term, simpler presentation to it. Like, it really does a, a damn good job selling the scares and, you know, making you feel on edge and tense. Like, and I, I think anybody who enjoys, like, classic horror games or just is looking for something, you know, with some nice kind of nods and throwbacks to other horror games and other scary games, I think they'd appreciate Spookies, too. I have not played through... um the two new additional things that have been released over the years, like the hospital, or I haven't played the dollhouse section myself, but I'm hoping to either play them soon, like, or hopefully tomorrow too for Halloween. But yeah, I would definitely recommend a Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion if you're looking for something new and just for something a little scary, especially on the Switch. It plays very nice on the system. So there we go. Yeah, I was watching some gameplay while you were talking, and uh, definitely looks like a fast paced thing. You know, the, the person is only in each room for a few seconds and uh yeah just kind of clicking around i was like well is this like a scary game because when we had the document beforehand i thought like the name was a joke like you were just like using that as a placeholder oh no that's that's the name yeah (laughs) right so i was was like what the hell and so then i like actually like tonight like looked it up i was like what the hell is this is it like actually supposed to be scary and yeah kind of like you were saying like oh there's these little cardboard cutouts at the beginning but I'm, I'm as i'm looking at this more yeah there's more like actual creepy looking things and so these thousand rooms is it just get to the end or like what like is, is there an overarching goal or story yeah, no or? It, it's, it's pretty much just get to the end yeah okay. there, there's a little story that plays at the beginning like mm-hmm. a, a little text scroll that tells you why your character's gone to the mansion but mm-hmm. other, otherwise it's pretty much you mm-hmm. like you don't have to read the notes so is it kind of like either. an adventure game or <laughs> right is, is there like puzzles or anything or is it just like go through these rooms and oh, run there's, away a, there's puzzles things? every now and then it's usually when you uh get to like your first encounter with one of the creatures mm-hmm. yeah it's i don't know what i guess i don't know how i would describe it it's basically um it's a well it's first person as you saw from probably from watching the footage there yep yep and pretty much it just becomes a game of uh you know survival you want to get to the end of the mansion see what there is to see mm-hmm. i won't say what happens when you get to the end but right. um there is actually, <laughs> I have to admit, like, I when I got to, uh, what was considered the good ending, I'm just like, that's pretty funny. Well-played developers. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's actually, too, why they did um, the new DLC stuff as well. Well, I say DLC. It's included with the game by default now, I believe, with, like, the HD renovation. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, like, the new stuff they added in does help kind of explain things a bit more, like, you know, who is spooky and, like, why is this all happening in this mansion? Like, right. gives you a little more details. But it's nice, too, because if you don't really care and you, and you just want to, you know, play through and just see, like, these these scary creatures and get a little backstory for them, mm-hmm. or if you want to, you know, learn a bit more, you have your options. And some people just play the endless mode where they just, uh, you know, they just keep going and, you know, see what creatures they come across and see what sort of crazy combinations for these creatures show up as well. Because I've seen... Uh, I'm part of the Discord for the game, actually. I joined it after I started playing it. And some of the pictures people have posted for what creature combinations they come across, it's like, oh my god, I don't know how you could handle that. I'd be freaking out. Just <laughs> because of, like, again, some of these creatures that you come across, a few of them are just like, oh, okay, that's not really scary looking. But when these things, when you're actually playing and they're coming after you, with the, how the sound works and just what, like, how quickly they can tear through you, it's like, oh my god, run, 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 run. <laughs> Yeah, that was in, in one part of the video. I, I won't say like what the creature was, but yeah, definitely like I could feel you know, I, and I didn't have the sound on or anything like that. But like, it, yeah, the thing was chasing after it, like, you know, after the player for 
a few rooms and like you do see a quick glimpse of that and i was like oh that's <laughs> that's a lot scarier than the, the little piece of toast cardboard cutout you know from exactly. the first few rooms <laughs> oh i saw that toast one just a few minutes ago yeah yeah there you go. <laughs> yeah the game does a good job too of like kind of lulling you into a sense of oh it's not going to be that bad right it's like yeah. it pull it pulls the the tablecloth out from under you so to speak <laughs> Well, especially with that name again, you know, I go back to that where I really thought it was like, oh, you're just, that's just a placeholder, you know, and it's like, I, so eight years ago, that would have been 2014, you know, that's kind of before, our, or at least I feel, you know, indie games where they, the subverting expectations, you know, where it seems like every indie game has to do nowadays, um, and, you know, seeing something like that, I would think like, oh, okay, cool, you know, funny game or whatever, um, but yeah, that's that's a, a pretty cool, pretty cool looking game. Yeah, it's it's fun too. It's but if you're not a big fan of like you know jump scares and stuff, I know you've told oh, us. Oh god, I hate jump scares. Like I can't, I can't play. <laughs> like Outlast was the last game, and I got like five minutes in. Like I, I hate jump scares. I feel like I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I will I will give the you know uh, albino moose devs credit too that they did add in some uh, options so if you want to turn off the jump scares or you want to so like you don't have to worry about like little cardboard things coming out or like uh right like the scary like running down the hallway ghost I told you guys about too like it does disable that so mm-hmm. you know if anybody listening does want to play this game themselves but they're like oh I'm not really a big fan of jump scares there are options to you know turn off the actual like jump scare jump scares or yeah. if you want to just you know turn off the specimens as well you don't have to worry about them which funny enough the game actually does have a workaround for that which again I'm not going to say but I will say if you actually get through the entire game doing that where you have them all off it's pretty funny <laughs> but yeah i really enjoyed uh playing this game finally it's one that i knew about for quite a few years and getting a chance to finally play it now uh, especially on the switch since i play that all the time it was really fun i i enjoyed playing it both on my tv and on the go so definitely would recommend if you're looking for a new scary game whether for you know the, the halloween season even though you know it's right upon us or if you're just looking for a brand new horror game it's well worth the 10 bucks yeah it's actually on i i checked while you were saying that it's actually on sale at least on playstation uh for like seven bucks until the third so oh, there you go a couple days to yeah maybe get a little bit cheaper yeah, there you go that uh same goes for one that i really wish you know you're talking about you played a little three-hour game I kind of wanted to get a little game in this October, but um, I got the Persona 5 Royal review for Switch and between, you know, dropping 60 hours into that and just, like literally the past week, I've had one hour of gaming time with uh, life just hitting me with everything. Um, but I was looking at Costume Quest and I don't know if that's on anything else, but yeah, looking here on Steam, you can get both of them, Costume Quest 1 and 2 for $5 through November 2nd. So, you know, these games know when, they're, when their clientele are looking for them. Right. Mm. Drippy, you want to talk about uh, your first game? Sure. Uh, kind of, yeah, on that topic of, uh, you know, clientele and stuff like that. So first game is called uh, Pumpkin Jack. So this came out in uh, October of 2020, and I think I bought it around that time. I can't remember. I know that I, I played a little bit of it. Didn't get too far into it because, boy, howdy, is it really an average just like 3D platformer? Uh, it currently has a very positive rating on Steam, which I, I guess I would kind of agree with. It, the, the art style kind of reminds me of uh, Medieval on PS1, uh, but more, you know, towards the, the PS4 remake that they did. Just kind of a moody, 
um, Tim Burton music kind of, you know, platformer and stuff like that. But basically, you know, the story of this is um, the world was was living in peace and harmony, uh, which made uh, the devil bored. <laughs> so uh, he, you know, unleashed his horde of monsters onto the world. And uh, you actually play the villain, kind of, because there's a good wizard, um, you know, that wants to save the world. So you're tasked with uh, stopping him. So... You know, it, it's a pretty short game. Uh, there's only six levels, and um, it took me anywhere from, you know, 20 minutes or so up to maybe like 45, 50 for the later uh, levels. But yeah, just a quick kind of, um, you know, game. The, the gameplay loop is the same for every single level. So it gets really predictable. Basically, it starts with platforming, um, you know, some combat and stuff like that. Then it goes to like a puzzle section or like a mini game where you have to like, there's parts because you're basically this like phantom, you know, you can like pop your pumpkin head off. And so you may need to like play a game of like whack-a-mole or like, you know, move a, a bomb around or whatever. But, you know, that's the second part. And then it goes to an on-rails section. So that's something like, a minecart or you're riding like a, a phantom you know horse or whatever um and then when you're done that that's when you go to a boss fight which is <laughs> know the patterns hit them three times hooray you win um the gameplay you know the platform it's a platform um the thing that sucks is it is really floaty and the combat is really stiff so with combat there's no you know, there's no varieties. Um, basically, you hit the attack button or you hold the down the attack button. The, there's a little bit of variance of uh, weapons. So, like, the very first weapon you get is, like, a rusty shovel, um, you know, that you get from a graveyard. But that, you know, you do eventually get, like, a sight. Um, and in one level, you actually get a shotgun, which is kind of weird. Doesn't really, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's kind of weird. Um, but, um, yeah, you know... It, it's it's mash a or, or the attack button um i think i died because it does keep track of your um like your deaths and stuff like that i think by the end of it i had like 45 deaths and most of those came from uh like hit detection of platforming sections like i would overshoot something or like i would hit it but i wouldn't hit it at the exact right angle and it's like you know uh, spike pits or whatever, you know, if you, if you fall, you die, you know, you can't swim in water or whatever, but, you know, so kind of the other part of it, it's a collectathon as well. There's only 21 collectibles in each level with 20 of them being these like crow skulls and one gramophone, um, through, through all the levels. Um, and all, <laughs> all that you get for collecting these things are new skins, that are really not that great. Uh, I think there's like, I think it's probably one for each level, actually. I think there's like six six skins. Um, I just wish that you could use these use these skills for something more. Like, I just wish there was something else to do with them. Like, maybe getting new skills or like upgrading your health or whatever. Because you have like a health bar, you know, you don't have like heart pieces or whatever. Um, but that's it. You know, you're collecting these things to get these new skins that aren't really that great. But... Uh, I am a degenerate, so I did end up getting all of them. I got the Platinum Trophy because all of the other trophies uh, were story-related and not missable. So basically, you play the game, and, you know, if you are a trophy hunter, um, there is a level select where, you know, it does show you, like, you, you have all these, you know, say 15 out of 20 collectibles, the skulls, you know, you have the gramophones. So you can go back, 
know, kind of clean those up and stuff like that. It keeps the ones that you've already collected. So all you really need to do is like, okay, which ones did I miss? Go back to do that. I mean, you're playing it for the atmosphere. Um, it's definitely, it is good atmosphere. And uh, one of the things that I specifically liked was, you know, the character portraits. Uh, there are little things, you know, what you're talking to uh, characters to get a little bit more of the story. There's like an owl that's following you around and stuff like that. You know, the, the wizard shows up every now and then. The, those are cool. Uh, but I think it's like 30 bucks normally. And I checked uh, the other day. It's probably, you know, the sale is probably ending next week. I think it was like 17 bucks on Switch. So, you know, yeah, I, I guess you could probably do worse, you know, um, get probably, I don't know, four hours or so, four or five hours out of it and just, you know, have have fun over a holiday or, or a Halloween weekend and play a very average platformer. <laughs> I, I guess that is kind of mostly positive, like the uh, Steam page says. Right. <laughs> it's definitely yeah, did not at the no, no, you go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, you know, it, it's definitely just average. You know, it, it's it's nothing special. You're you're playing for the atmosphere basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was here, um, you just want that game. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice though the trophies aren't locked behind like you gotta do a bunch of crazy stuff like like I've had we've I've had this discussion with other people, but I think it's annoying when games make you do like all sorts of crazy stuff that you either wouldn't normally or no, actually making you do stuff you normally wouldn't do is a good way to experience other things but yeah definitely. when it's all like a bunch of um like obnoxious hard like rng related quests or something yeah. just to get the the platinum or something like that like mm-hmm. i kind of like when games don't make it like super annoying to you know do that at the same time though it also sounds like maybe there's a bit of tongue-in-cheek just to make it super easy as well because uh yeah i know that if you if you play undertale on the ps4 or the vita like oh, pretty much yeah. all the trophies just come <laughs> from beating the game normally and the rest of them are just uh uh, donate coins to the the dog shrine, and that's nope. it. <laughs> and even the names but, of uh, those trophies are like, yeah, I guess I have to like name this trophy. Uh, you know, and it, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, that I've seen that. Yeah, just totally making fun of it. Yeah. I, I was looking up some info on this game too while you were talking, and mm-hmm. I'm impressed to see that it was a. I think it was just made by one guy, from what I. Yeah, heard. yeah. So that that was really cool, actually. One of the things that I noticed. Um, so in the credits. It actually shows you, like, October 2017, like, and it goes, like, the timeline. Like, here's what it looked like. Here's the redesign for the character. Like, here's the second design. And, yeah, um, I, I think it was, yeah, made by one guy. So that's really impressive. I mean, if anything, you know, if you can, like, maybe find the ending credit sequences, you can see, you know, kind of how this game has evolved. And that's a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. I got to say, but- like, maybe it is, you know, it does sound a little rough around the edges of the points. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got to give uh, kudos where it goes to i haven't played this game myself but that's pretty cool though that this guy was able to uh you know do it all by himself oh, you know absolutely. that's maybe it must have been like you know a real passion project so yeah oh definitely and, and it yeah. sounds like if the atmosphere is really good that maybe that's what he was really striving <laughs> for as well yeah and it kind of goes for you know kind of a humorous thing you know it's it's not you know laugh out loud or whatever but yeah i did find myself you know chuckling every now and then like when when pumpkin when you know the character jack is going back and forth with this like this owl and stuff like that and and basically another one of your attacks is like a crow that you can kind of like send out and you know attack people but he's also a character so yeah they kind of have that like back and forth and you know you're the villain so it's like when you do when you do see this wizard which he, he does look kind of evil so like that threw me off he definitely doesn't look like a good character mm-hmm. but um yeah you know there's definitely you know a back and forth pretty humorous um i mean yeah i, I would give it a shot i don't know if it's worth 30 bucks but you know maybe maybe next time halloween rolls around if it's on sale yeah why not why not give it a try for a weekend yeah 
yeah, looking at uh, some screenshots too while you were talking, mm-hmm. I can definitely see the the medieval influencer. Oh medieval. yeah, I have no idea how you're supposed to actually say the name of that game. I, I don't either. Call it medieval. <laughs> I, I've called it medieval for years, so it's kind of one of those things like I'm going to keep calling it that. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, yeah, no, I can I can see the influence there, and mm-hmm. you know it, it's. It, it seems like it'd be, you know, a fun little game to try out sometime. So definitely. Yeah. Thanks for uh, telling us about that one. Then. It, it, yeah, of course. Well, cool. We've reached my uh, first and only game here. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Final Fantasy 12. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought like, 13 the, the, the was the scary one that nobody liked. No, uh, I don't know about 12, that. Didn't shit. You hear, haven't you heard all of Platy's horror stories? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I, I there was a Halloween legit like this happened on Halloween. I'm playing on Halloween. I keep getting up, going to the door, because back then, uh, where I lived, this is like 15, 18 years ago, um, when it was fresh out, I got it right away because, I don't know, that stupid demo disc in Dragon Quest VIII made me think, oh, I I used to like those games 10 years ago. Maybe I'll try the newest one. Um, Playing it and whatever, and I don't know if it was Halloween or the creepiness or whatever, but... Every time I put down the controller to go up and get some kid candy at the door, I came back and the shit's playing itself. It was like <laughs> haunted. These people are doing shit on the screen. I'm not telling them what to do. They're just attacking, going crazy. I'm leveling up. <laughs> My ex-wife was sitting there like, what the hell's the game doing? Is it just playing while you go to the door? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so you want a scary time, give that a try. And unfortunately, that's all I got to say tonight. I think I played the <laughs> demo of it at like a GameStop kiosk and yeah i gotta have control of what i'm doing especially in rpgs and and uh you know things like that like i could never get into like the tales series um because yeah i I gotta have i gotta have control of what i'm doing at all times or at least making the decisions you know yeah the gambits were pretty cool but no i i definitely more of a turn-based person because of that like i want to each person i want to decide what i'm doing there right but well, with my jokes aside, uh, <laughs> get back to the uh, the, the meat of the uh, episode here. All righty. Hey, let me get my notes pulled back up. So uh, for my second game that I want to talk about tonight, it's actually the first of the two that I played uh, for this episode because I wanted to get a head start. So if you are a longtime listener of SideQuest, you probably remember uh, on one of the episodes, I believe it was our favorite games of 2021 if i remember right that i talked about how i had played resident evil 7 for halloween that year and how i really enjoyed it and you know it was one of my you know obviously it was one of my favorites because made it on my th- on my three picks for that year uh but it was a really good game and i really enjoyed it and you know with resident evil 8 that came out i believe also like early 2021 if i remember correctly in like february or march that year um after playing seven i'm like oh i really would need to get eight and you know keep playing because you know i really enjoyed seven so much so come this year halloween it's like you know what perfect time to start the game i think i actually started it on october 1st as well so <laughs> played uh, right played that right away at the beginning of this month so yes the second nice. game is going to be resident <clears throat> sorry I, I gotta get my voice in the right the right way <clears throat> resident evil village there's your sting for it i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm open to being hired for that captain thank you <laughs> But uh, yes, so I'm going to talk about Resident Evil Village or Resident Evil 8. Uh, This game is a sequel slash direct follow-up to uh, Resident Evil 7, but you you can play it on its own. So uh, the game does have a little opening thing that gives you the option to view like a little recap of the uh, seventh game if you need to. 
or if you don't, you know, if you play, you remember the story, you don't need to worry about it. Uh, so it's nice, though, they give that an option. So if anybody does start with eight, it gives you kind of helps you catch up on what happened to uh, our main character, Ethan, Ethan Winters and his family. So just to kind of get things set up here for the story slash, you know, how things start off in the game. Uh, it's been a few years since the events of Resident Evil 7 and Ethan and his uh, wife Mia are now living under witness protection, uh, you know, far away from the U.S. and uh, Louisiana where Resident Evil 7 took place. Uh, they're living now with uh, their six-month-old daughter Rose and they are in a rural, a rural part of Europe. That's right. It's just like Resident Evil 4. It's not a, a specific part of Europe. It's just Europe. <laughs> Resident Evil just loves throwing in Europe but not actually saying where in Europe. <laughs> it's a common thing. Leave it better to the imagination. Exactly. There you go. But uh, yes. Could be so, anywhere. It could be for you. There. It could okay, be here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it could be anywhere. All right, just yeah, not right. America, you scum. Yeah. I know. And it's over in Europe somewhere. Uh, anyway, so so um, in typical video game fashion where things start off, you know, in a nice, pleasant way, things seem like they're going good for our main character, things go to shit. <laughs> Just to put it bluntly. What? Uh, a horror uh, game? No. I know, right? I can't believe it. Yeah. But, um, and they lived happily ever after. Or did they? But yes, uh, Ethan ends up in... A uh, terrible situation, just like he did in Resident Evil 7. Uh, eventually, this ends up leading him into the middle of nowhere uh, after, a after a car crash. And as the morning sun starts to you know, rise over the mountains, he finds himself in this strange little village that's uh, unmarked with any like sort of name or roads or anything like that. And it's eerily quiet when you get there, too. Well, as he explores the town, he comes across these werewolf-type creatures called lichens, which you notice that they look very, very human, but they have, like, you know, long claws, their clothes are all shredded up, and some of them are even to a point where their bodies have mutated to look gigantic, or, in some cases, a lot more uh, wolf-like the further you go on into the game. And after running into them and sort of, you know, getting to learn about sort of the situation that's happening in this village, um, Ethan comes across Mother Miranda and her four, uh, quote, children, unquote, uh, who rule over this territory in Europe. Uh, Ethan's goal then uh, becomes to uh, track down and defeat the four lords and eventually Mother Miranda, uh, rescue his daughter Rose, and, uh, you know, just figure out why exactly they kidnapped her and what's, you know, going on and why uh, what happens at the beginning of the game uh, happens. Um, I'm not going to say what does sort of kick off the plot to just because it is, you know, it's better to see that for yourself when you play the game, whether you are uh, a returning player of Resident Evil, like you played seven, then going into eight, or if you're a new time player, it's, you know, I think that's worth seeing along just to, you know, kind of get the understanding of why things go the way they do. Uh, but anyway, um, so, you know, this game I thought had a, had a really good atmosphere and scares in the first part of it, uh, especially in uh, Castle Dimitrescu and uh, the Beneviento uh, manner that you come across like both of those parts of the game do a darn good job selling the scares and you know creating this tense atmosphere with a uh, uh, lady Demetresque and her three daughters chasing after you and these you know these vampire-esque like creatures that they've ended up creating because of their like blood experiments and things uh gameplay is really solid too with this game uh, it takes what resident evil 7 did and really you know uh, pushes the boundaries with it a little more. You have a lot more like options for firepower. You have some more customization for your guns. Uh, you have some different options as well, like uh, pieces that are parts, excuse me, that you can find that you can attach to guns in order to give them like a little extra firepower, increase their um, max capacity of ammo. Uh, those are separate from any upgrades you can normally do with it, which is a new feature to this game. And uh, 
uh, there's a lot more of an open environment to it. There's still like when you go to a new area, there is like a set path for it. But um, the village of the game, it kind of acts as your hub of sorts where you can go there and you after you find like new items or tools and things you can go around and find some new items like you have a crank that you come across you can use to uh, lift up water from the well or lift up the buckets from these uh, water wells and there might be new ammo or stuff like that in there for you so you know it's it's one of those games that i think does a good job of like if you remember some details and you go back to them later after you've gotten to a certain point or if you've found certain items you know you're rewarded for it which i think is really cool um uh let me see where i want to go on my notes here uh, definitely like the scariest part of this game too. And I, I've told, um, everyone else that does a, a side quest with us and, <laughs> and elsewhere as well. This is probably where I came across like one of the scariest things I've experienced in my life. And that was in the basement of the Beneviento Manor, which is the second area of the game. There's a whole lot of build up to the basement area. There's really not a whole lot that goes on. It's really like eerily quiet other than a few things. And what leads up to this big scare once the lights go off in the basement area, I got to say that made me terrified. I even knew that it was coming because I had watched that footage because I heard about this creature that you come across down there. And I'm like, oh, it can't be that bad. Oh, it's that bad. It's fucking bad. <laughs> I had heard about that, too. It and is scary I... as shit. I don't know what it is, but I saw this in your notes as well, and I was like, huh, so these people weren't joking around. It really is this, like, terrifying thing. Oh, my thing. God, dude. It's, it, like, again, I knew about it because I had watched it, so I'm like, okay, I got to see this for myself. This is, like, a year ago I watched this. Right. And when I got to it at this point in the game, I was still just, like, like kind of tensed up, like, okay, where is it going to come out at? Where is this thing at? <laughs> and when it starts coming after you and it makes its loud noises, like, I feel especially if you're a parent, too, and this is coming across, like, this creature you come across, you're going to be like, oh, my God, no! <laughs> it's, ter- it's terrifying. It truly is. Like, and I have to give major props to Ethan's uh, voice actor. He's as deadpan as always, but when it's this part of the game, like, you can hear him, like really selling like the panting and like you know the, the terror of this creature coming after you that you don't know if it's real or if it's not real like it's it they did a, a damn good job cap like capcom major kudos to them for the, this was honestly something that felt like it was like straight out of silent hill or something like that just because of like the psychological terror of it it's so good Maybe uh, I look this this clip up. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do it when it's you know nine o'clock in the morning and bright and sunny outside. But <laughs> no, you got to do it like right at midnight or like the witching hour. <laughs> but um, but yeah, um, that was a really like a really big highlight of the game for me, and as well as like all the improvements on the gameplay too. Like uh, uh, Castle Demetresque was a really well designed area. Um, the factory area of the game, I like that too. But honestly, this is kind of it's weird. Like, I liked Resident Evil 8 quite a bit. I did enjoy it. But this is a game that I thought really peaked at the at the halfway point. Because, like, the first two major areas, um, uh, Castle Dimitrescu and Beneviento Manor, like, both of those, they were really scary. Like, they both sold the atmosphere. The gameplay was really solid in both of them. And I, you know, really got into it. Like, I definitely felt, like, really tensed up. Especially when uh, Lady is coming after you because she just is constantly on the move and wandering. There were places that I came across uh, her when I was just walking around trying to find items I missed where she'd pop out somewhere. Not like a jump scare, but she would just, you know, happen to show up in that area. And you hear her coming and you're just like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> but the second half, when you uh, have to deal with, uh, I believe his name is is Monroe, or, or it's based off of that story. Like, well, his name is based after like 
Dr. Monroe's Island. You know, you got you, you know what story I'm, I'm talking about where it's like the guy turns the people into like animal creatures. I don't like spooky things, so no, I have no idea. Sorry. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope maybe Matt uh, might know, but uh, <laughs> Dr. Monroe or something. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, Dr. Monroe. I, I, might, I might not be saying the name correctly either, but it's a scary yeah, story. Yeah, the island of Dr. Moreau. Yes, there we go. Thank you, Moreau. Um, but yes, so Moreau's section and uh, uh, Heisenberg's factory. Like, Heisenberg is a fun character, and Moreau does have some creepy elements to him. But honestly, I just didn't find myself as tensed up at those parts of the game. They were just kind of like, you know, just kind of playing through them. And I think what kind of undercut, especially Moreau's part, is that it's during the daytime. You know, it's still a cloudy day, but it's, you know, the sun's shining. You know, it's not really like a mm-hmm. scary, like a stormy night or something. But uh, <clears throat> I just didn't find myself as like quite as deeply engaged with the second half of the game as I was the first half. Second half just kind of felt more like I was going through the motions. There was cool stuff to it, but I just wasn't like finding myself like on edge or like, oh, what's going to be around here? What's going to be the blue? You know, feeling like kind of like that, that tension. Um, and the factory area, it had some good parts to it as well, but I just kind of felt it went on for a little too long. Like I liked how the enemies worked. I had to fight them and how they kept changing them up to the further you went along into it, as well as uh, the boss that you end up fighting towards the end of, well, actually at the very end of the factory itself and the boss, it's like eh, about like tor- like the last third of it, or I would say. Like the two bosses, they're great. They were a lot of fun. And just with how well they were designed as well. But just, I don't know, I just felt like you had to backtrack a few times and it really wasn't that fun and just, uh, it kind of looks samey. But I, I could be alone on that one. Could just be a me thing. Factory level sometimes are real hit and miss for me in video games, so. This was, I think it was just one of those times where it was a miss. Uh, end of the game, though, that was really good. Uh, you get this one section where you're playing as somebody else, a different character, and you just destroy everything in your path. And the final boss was actually really fun. It had a lot of variances, uh, uh, excuse me, variations to how it acted, uh, having some different forms. And I figured out at one point in the, in the fight where like these little like um, sphere-type things that show up above the, bo- the final boss if you hit them, they explode and it causes damage to the boss instead of you, which is really nice because if it hits you, it does, you know, puts, sets you on fire and you're like, oh, you know, it distracts you so you can't shoot your gun. And um, I really liked how uh, the very last uh, scene of the game, too, like after the credits roll, there's like a little post credit scene. I think it, it does a good job of not only setting up, um, you know, what could come within the next Resident Evil game that would come along, like the next mainline game, but um, actually just at the time of doing this recording, too, the DLC for Resident Evil 8 just came out where it's like shadows of rose i believe it's called like all the other dlc as well i'm looking forward to checking that out but either way like whether regardless of that's supposed to be like um shadow of rose supposed to be like immediately after or something i don't really know i haven't been reading too much into it just because i want to avoid spoiling it for myself um i really liked how the game ended because even though ethan is a very flat character and not the most expressive you know he has his terrible one-liners as well every time he beats something um I thought the game did a good job with how it ended with things and, you know, showing his daughter Rose and uh, what came to be and everything. There's a really stupid reveal, though, about Ethan's um, uh, regenerative powers, we'll just put it, uh, at the end of the game that I thought was just really dumb. But uh, it's kind of that's kind of a thing with Resident Evil. There's dumb stuff all the time. <laughs> you got to you kind of got to take the good with the bad. But speaking of the good, one of my absolute favorite parts of this game was a character that helps you out throughout the entire thing called the Duke. He he is just this um, big tons of fun guy. Like if you go to like if you're part of our Dragons Den Discord or anything else like that, you've probably seen my profile picture. Is this like this fat porcus of a man sitting in the back of a tr- sitting in the back of a wagon holding a cigar? 
that's the Duke. Oh, he's a great character. He's just this strange, like, enigmatic character that keeps showing up every now and then. And somehow he keeps ending up in buildings. It's like, how did you even get here? You're like the size of a small baby whale. <laughs> how did you get in here so easily? But he's such a great character. He, his uh, voice actor definitely must have had fun reading those lines because he has some, like, like real cheesy, smarmy kind of lines. You're not really sure if he's going to be your ally or if he's against you or what his plans are. But he had some really good moments, especially uh, a nice moment towards the end. And if you've played Resident Evil 4, um, and you've always wondered about you know that strange merchant character, and you get a you get a little bit of uh, information and connection with that with uh, the Duke and the merchant from Resident Evil 4. So that was pretty cool to see that. But yeah, um, despite just a few things about Resident Evil 8 not really being my cup of tea, and the second half not really being the scariest game. Uh, compared to the first half, I really did enjoy Resident Evil 8. I thought it was a fun time, especially enjoyed the gameplay, and I'm looking forward to uh, revisiting it for a replay and uh, check out the DLC in the future. So if you um, are a fan of Resident Evil 7 or you're looking for, again, you're just looking for kind of a new like Resident Evil game or maybe something that's kind of a bit more action-packed uh, set in Europe like Resident Evil 4 was, then hey, there you go. Just take Resident Evil 4, multiply it by 2, bam, you got Resident Evil 8. There you go. <laughs> it's now twice as scary. <laughs> so kind of speaking of Resident Evil 4, like what's your history with the series? Are you do you, are you excited for the remake of 4 or have you just kind of started getting into the series with 7 and 8? Like what what's your history there? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh my history with Resident Evil, let me think. I wasn't a a PlayStation kid growing up, so I really didn't know about the the first three games that we you know. I, I think the second one was on was on the Nintendo sixty four, but I would have been too young to play it anyway. Right. But um, it was, it was always one of the series I kind of knew about, but never really looked too much into. Then Resident Evil four was coming out for the GameCube, you know that was really big everywhere. You know, hearing yep. about that, and eventually I did play. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I played Resident Evil four uh, via the Nintendo Switch release, or excuse me, not the Switch release. Sorry, way too late. late. The Nintendo Wii version of the game mm -hmm. back in high school because a buddy of mine was telling me about how good it was to play that game on the Nintendo Wii because it actually really fits really nicely on that system too because <coughs> oh excuse me sorry uh, you use uh, the uh, the pointer the, controls yeah. thank you I'm sorry I can't talk yeah. I just had a cough <laughs> I, I've heard that that version is like the definitive you know even if it doesn't look the best or whatever because they've they've remade and like ported this thing you know a bunch of times but yeah everybody says like the wii version is the one to play like yeah no honestly i i totally agree with that tripper i might just have to have you on just so you can continue my thoughts while i lose my train of thought there <laughs> but um but he's yeah. an engineer he, he did it railroad engineer <laughs> But um, but yeah, the Wii version was how I got my start with it, and I really enjoyed playing that. And I'd like uh, one of my friends would come over, and we'd like pass the remote back and forth and do the mercenaries mode. Mm -hmm. uh, he would usually play as like Krauser. I would play as a uh, Hunk from Resident Evil Two because he had that uh, machine gun that uh, he could just like do a few like shots, like bam, 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 shoot the guy in the face, and like do like the neck snap. Or no, I remember if he had the no, he had the neck snap. That's right, Hunk had that because you can do it. You can keep your combos going. It was so much fun. <laughs> um, but I replayed that one quite a bit. Um, I've played Resident Evil. Um, what was that one on the 3DS called? Revelations, I think. Yeah, Revelations, yeah. I played the HD version of that on my Wii U. <laughs> and I haven't played too many of the other games in the series. I have some of them. I just have never played them. Like, I usually try and save, like, scary games for the Halloween season most of yeah, the time. Yeah, just because, yeah. you know, it's, 
you know, get into that kind of fall or like in November too. Cause you know, fall time's kind of like, in my opinion, like the perfect time to start playing some of those scary games and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I do have uh, Resident Evil 4 on a few different consoles. Like, I have it on actually both my PS4 and then when I got my Switch back in uh, 2019, it was eventually on sale, I think in 2020. So I picked it up on there for like five, six bucks, something like that. You know, so it's one of those games that I've replayed it so much on my Wii where it's like, yeah, if I can get it on sale on another console, I definitely will just because <laughs> I enjoy it that much. Wow. And it, it and it's, it's uh, playing Resident Evil 7. I don't know if you ever listened to that episode that we did um, a few years ago, or about last year, excuse me. But mm. I really enjoyed that game. It was so much fun, and I just had that constant tension the whole time. It was really good. Probably one of my favorite games I played um, from the horror genre, for sure. Wow. Nice. So yeah, I've only I've only ever played two. I tried that a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I played like five minutes of four when I was younger. My friend mm-hmm. let me borrow it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've never really gotten into it. You know, definitely seven and eight being that first person, more horror focused, probably wouldn't be for me. But um, you know, two. The reason I stopped playing two was because I got into like a boss fight mm-hmm. and I lost like twenty minutes or something like that of progress. And I'm like, you know what, I don't feel like doing this but the resident evil 4 the remake does interest me um you know just because everybody always talks about it and i get from my understanding the games are kind of like standalone like is there an overarching thing or i mean i know you'd mentioned well, there there is but at the same yeah. time you can play them without necessarily having played some of the others like right. um i have i have the resident evil remake for the the, the like the remake of number one, like mm-hmm. on my PS4 for the HD version, whatever it's called. And um, uh, I will just say, not without spoiling anything, but Resident Evil 8 actually does have a moment in the game where it kind of um, hints and like kind of flat out states to what sort of led to events in some of the other games. Oh, nice. I, I won't. I, again, I'm not going to say you know why. You know, if anybody, you know, whether it's you, Drippy, or someone who ends up listening to this wants to check it out themselves. But it was even though I haven't played the first games myself, when mm-hmm. I still saw that, I'm like, oh, okay, so that's a cool way to tie things together there. Like with nice. like the series as a whole, that's pretty cool actually. Sort of these mm-hmm. these newer generation uh, Resident Evil games where it's not focused on you know the usual characters like Chris Redfield or Leon or mm-hmm. any of that. But yeah, most of the most of the time, these games are pretty like standalone there's stuff that it's like you know it's going to be like any other long-running series where there's probably some references you're not going to catch but at right. the same time exactly you you could go into it um playing it without necessarily having experienced it like like i said with this game too with resident evil uh, village mm-hmm. the beginning of the game gives you a recap of resident evil 7 if you want to see right. it so you know if mm-hmm. you're a first time player and you know you're like your friends told you about Resident Evil, like, oh, I'm going to check this game out. And the first one you can play is Resident Evil Village. You can see a recap for what happened from 7 and be like, oh, okay. So, you know, it kind of catches you up then with what um, the overall story is. Yeah, nice. I, I will say for sure, though, that with this game, I would recommend playing 7 before playing 8. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can, if you if you can't, you know, playing, whatever. But um, getting the context of seven and seeing how, you know, the gameplay and stuff evolves from seven as well, uh, it it gives you a good appreciation for the game, I think. Because, like I said, even though I didn't think this game, uh, Resident Evil 8, had the same sort of tension that seven kept throughout the entire experience, like, I really felt like they, you know, did a great job improving on the gameplay and so many other elements, too. So, yeah, I, yes, so I guess hopefully that answers your question for kind of my history of the Resident Evil series. I haven't played many of the games, but it's always been one that's fascinated me, too. But, I'm very much like, ooh, a new scary series. Let's kind of check that out, <laughs> see what there is to learn about that. <laughs> right. 
but I've always loved monster designs and things like that too. And that's what was kind of drawn me to this series is the creatures like nemesis mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, there we go. I do believe you had one other game that you want to talk about too, Drippy, or maybe it was a, an entire series you wanted to talk about. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, what's, it's what's just next a single game because that's all that I've really dove into. But yeah, again, another long running series. Um, I think when you go into a Halloween or a scary game, you know, podcast, you know, you, you know, it's going to come up. And so that's Castlevania. Um, I am, you know, specifically the one that I want to talk about is um, the one on the NES, you know, the one that released in 1986, um, hard as hell. Um, yeah, I've been playing that. Uh, I, I think like last week I was, I was playing it via um, the Castlevania Anniversary Collection. And, you know, obviously I'm using save states because when you're talking about Castlevania, when you're talking about old NES games, you you talk about the difficulty and stuff. And so it's a hard game, but I think most of it comes from the controls. And so by what, what I mean by that is the jumping is stiff, and you're committed, like you're committed to everything. If if you make a jump, you're you're in there. And if, if an enemy hits you and hits you for knockback, that's it. You know, same thing with your attack. If you throw your whip out, <laughs> it's out there until you know it until the animation's over or whatever. Um, and so, kind of coupling that, um, it's like the enemies can be. They can be predictable, but they can also be unpredictable. So especially, they're called like the flea men or something like that. They like, they just kind of like jump you in what feels like. I random. fucking hate those things so yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I fucking hate no, those things. No, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's why I wanted to like give those ones, you know, the specific example because they are, you know, definitely more random. But there are things like the Medusa heads, which they have a pattern. They go up and down and up and down. You know, you know what you're gonna do, but they always tend to be around like pits so of course you know if you if you go for a jump to jump over a pit well the medusa head's more than likely coming to hit you and so i have i've only beaten this game when i played uh the remake for the super nintendo again in that um in the collection the castlevania uh, anniversary collection for uh, super castlevania 4 which is confusing castlevania 4 is castlevania 1 whatever that's we're not talking about that today but um, you know, kind of in playing it this last week, um, I got up to, like, the fifth stage. So, again, there's only, well, there, I guess there's a theme to me in this episode, because there's six levels, um, and, you know, basically, you're going through Dracula's castle. I mean, if people know what Castlevania is, I don't I don't really need to describe it or whatever. Um, you know, I feel like it's, it's pretty, you know, pretty forgiving and stuff like that for the first two levels. Then, you know, it starts ramping up and stuff like that. You gotta start learning more patterns and stuff. Um, I never really use the sub weapons, which I guess is the problem. You know, I always kind of try to hoard, um, you know, holy water or whatever. Um, but you know, you can make it easy. So, but really, the reason why I was playing this, uh, well, because it's around Halloween Town. But there's another guy um, that I'd like to mention, and it's called Hand Drawn Game Guides. And so, kind of the history with that guy is he got big making a hand drawn like Legend of Zelda guide. I mean, it's amazing. But the new thing that he's doing now is he's doing um, uh, bi monthly newsletters. Basically, you know, it's it's a hand drawn uh, like it's only four pages or something like that. But basically, his first his first uh, issue was for Castlevania, and it's really cool. You know, it has a whole map of 
the castle. Here's where, you know, the, the chickens in the walls are. Here's the strategies to beat the bosses and stuff like that. So I caught that. I was like, huh, maybe I can actually beat this game. And then I got to, you know, the Grim Reaper stage, and I was like, well, fuck this, I can't. Um, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's a classic. I would never I would never play it, you know, on original hardware. I will always play it with save states. I don't care. Take my gamer card away. I don't need my virginity. You know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I don't know. It, it's a good game. You know, the music is awesome. Um, it's, yeah, a legendary game. I just, I, I can't beat it. But I do, you know, I enjoy the time, you know, and it's a short game. You know, people can speed run this thing in like 15 minutes. I would never get to that point, but it, it's a fun game to, you know, play around this time of year. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I have a lot of love for the original Resident Evil. Or, geez, excuse me. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I have a lot of love for a game. I Let, let's played. get back forget, to Resident Evil. Here. Let's go yeah, back yeah, to Red. Yeah. Forget about Castlevania, man. That's a different Get everything he no. just said. Yeah, forget <laughs> that. Yeah, whatever. Don't ignore that. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> let me try that again. I um, I have a lot of love for the original Castlevania uh, because this is actually one of the first games I remember buying on my uh, Nintendo Wii with the virtual console system that they had on there. You know, it's only like five bucks for the NES games from that thing back in the day. And I uh, remember playing this a lot on uh, a winter day where we didn't end up having to go to school because of the snow day. And I, you know, kept replaying it again and again. You know, I kept getting stuck at the... Um, fourth stage where it's the hallway right before the flea man and uh frankenstein's monster boss because of the stupid birds that fly in and drop other flea men on you it's just <laughs> i hate that hallway with a passion yeah i got i got used out of the stopwatch at that point because oh yeah, yeah that that's great for them sucks. that is the nice thing too is that like all of the sub weapons except for the knife which is just not very good are they can be really helpful for different situations as you're going through the game Mm-hmm. Uh, especially holy water if you get that if you get like double holy water going oh it's so much fun you just basically throw those things out in front of you anything that gets close gone like that <laughs> but um yeah i replayed this one a ton and you know it is very difficult but i enjoyed it a lot and i still rejoy enjoy replaying this game a lot um <clears throat> i had picked up the uh, castlevania collection like you drippy uh, um i think it was either i think it was late last year if i remember right um it was like five dollar sale for it for that one and like the the Contra collection, so it's like, well, sure, yeah, I'll buy that on my Switch, you know, five bucks, heck yeah, uh, and I, it was so much fun replaying it, too, uh, it's nice you get the save states to kind of stop your progress if you need to, uh, go do something else, or if you come into a, a troubled spot, but I think just from having, you know, played it years ago, and, you know, just getting a little more experience with the game over the years as well, like, playing it on the, the collection, it's one of the first times I remember beating it without, like, relying on, like, save states, or where I had to, like, stop and go do something else, then I'd restart this entire game over, but, um, it Castlevania has definitely become like the original one has definitely become one of those games that I can get through it. Um, I would say well enough. Like I still have points where it's like, Oh, I got, there's this part of like, Oh, I got to struggle with this or I forget out of practice. But I, there was one time there was a, a race that I was, uh, I wasn't, part of it but i was watching it and it made me want to learn how to uh get through the game like not necessarily on a speed run but just you know try and play the game a little faster and get a little better at it so it's it's funny how this game just kind of keeps working its way back into my brain because i mean you could look back at some of the other the other castlevania games that followed it and how they really improved upon things with gameplay and you know overall difficulty and stuff but i always have a soft spot for this particular entry from the series like the very first one it's definitely the one that i have the most fun replaying and like listening to the soundtrack for it and stuff it's definitely a hard as hell especially if uh you have bad rng on like the on the dracula fight but i think it's a lot of fun i love the original very much and i can't emphasize that enough otherwise i'm gonna keep repeating myself <laughs> now i played the original 
you know, back in the day. I think everybody had that. And what about you? In the mid eight mid eighties, early nineties. But uh, I, I talked about the second game quite a bit. When way back, what episode we were? Episode number three. It's like episode right. three. It's like way back in the day. Yep. <laughs> August of uh, 2020, back when we started doing this, uh, we had our third episode was on NES memories and Castlevania 2 was one of the ones I brought up. I really, really liked that one. It is the bizarre one, like uh, pretty much how like the second uh, adventures of uh, we're not adventures of the second Zelda game. Mm-hmm. is the one that is completely different than everything else. Um, everybody talks about like, oh, that one's so weird. Well, the second uh, Castlevania is a little bit bizarre. It was a longer game, a hell of a lot longer. It's because uh, you got to walk all the way around the world, right? You're going into towns, your night is falling. It's got a day-night cycle system going. Yeah, with the message that cops up says, what a horrible night to have a curse. <laughs> Never, oh, God. But, yeah, no, that game's got um, probably one of my favorite Castlevania Castlevania songs though um it's called Bloody Tears if I remember right it's the song that plays during the daytime it goes dun 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 it's so good I love that song <laughs> and then I remember a few years ago I can I guess like can pinpoint the uh, restaurant that I was sitting at with my mom and my wife and kids and we were either on Discord or on the Dragon Set or something chit chatting about it. Castlevania came up and I mentioned I hadn't played uh, Symphony of the Night. And next thing I know, I have like a I, I don't know if it was on Facebook Messenger or just through PayPal. I get like three dollars from Matt Craft. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck? I'm sitting at a restaurant. I'm like, what? what did he just send me three dollars for? Um, and it was to buy Symphony of the Night on my phone. So <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> so thank you, Matt Craft. Uh, got stuck working tonight. Uh, couldn't be with us, but uh, you heard him earlier. And yeah, I, I, I don't think I've really given that much time. But I did try it on the Vita afterwards. I was like, okay, I need. I I can't do this with touch controls. So I think I played a few levels on the uh, Vita version. Or maybe I emulated it on my Vita. I don't know. I think Going I, back have, I, think I have that on Vita as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Platty, you are talking about uh, Castlevania 2. So I opened up um, the Castlevania collection on my Switch while we were uh, while you were talking about it. And when you go to the bottom, it does let you play like the Japanese versions of the games if you want to. The mm-hmm. only one that's not in the Japanese selection list for uh, this collection, and maybe it's just because, you know, it's so text heavy, is Castlevania 2. <laughs> you can play all the other ones if you that you want to, no problem. Because the, the seven other games, but you can't play uh, Castlevania two. <laughs> and it makes me wonder. That's pretty if funny. It is pretty. <laughs> I kick out of that. It makes me wonder then if in the uh, like, I, well, I assume that there's like a Japanese release of this collection too. If it's the same thing where it's like, oh, you can you know play all the other ones in English, but you can't play the English version of Simon's Quest. It's too difficult. Can't understand what they're saying, <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Yeah, because I mean, you had to talk to shopkeepers and all this stuff, and it was definitely different than just you know being a platformer. It had a lot more to it. Yeah, that's definitely one of those cases of like an early game too, where uh, you know just because it was so different, like uh, Zelda Two was, um, mm-hmm. that it was definitely a case where. You could probably figure out stuff on your own, but honestly, that it was it's pretty cryptic on stuff because this was a, a time in gaming too where they couldn't put a whole lot of text into um, games as much. You know, like even RPGs from back then, like text space was limited. You only had you only could do so much. So that's mm-hmm, why there was mm-hmm. often like such cryptic hints. So I definitely imagine that you know there were plenty of kids like either really relied on like Nintendo power for getting through Simon's quest or they had to like get the, I don't know if there was an official strategy guide for the game or not, but you know, I, I assume that they'd have to go look for help like even now too. Cause I've tried playing through it without any help and oh boy, 
It's like, I need a guide or something for just some references for what to do with this thing. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the guides and stuff like that, so I was going to mention that, yeah, for um, Castlevania 2 specifically, so that was the cover story of the second Nintendo Power issue, and Mm -hmm. it seems that sometimes that issue is, like, harder to find or, like, more expensive than the very first issue. Um, And, yeah, I think it's because, I don't know, like, you know, Nintendo Power, you know, everybody really relied on it back in those days. And I think, yeah, oh, like yeah. that one it's one that you needed it for. So maybe I don't know if it's like if, if you know, it's that rare or that valuable because people wanted to have it that way. You know, they want to play through that game. But um, yeah, I, I haven't seen anything about, you know, an official guy. I don't know. I don't know if they had like, you know, well, they don't really do it anymore right now. But, you know, like Brady Games or Prima or whatever. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't I don't think they would have had those back then. Um, I think you're, you know, kind of relying on Nintendo Power and hopefully the next issue. Because from my experience, at least with Nintendo Powers, if they're going to have a walkthrough for a game, it's split between two issues. Um, like there was uh, Star uh, Star Tropics. That's issue 21 or 22. But then, you know, it's only half the game. And then the next issue, they finish the guide for it. So <laughs> definitely they kept you subscribed to it. So, uh, Angus, what games come with the uh, Castlevania Anniversary Collection? Oh, sure. Uh, let me tell you the here. Switch. So, um, on the Switch, and I think it's on PS4 and a few other things as well, but uh, with uh, the collection, you get uh, Castlevania 1, 2, and 3 from the NES. Uh, mm-hmm. You get Super Castlevania 4 for the Super Nintendo. Uh, you get um, Castlevania The Adventure uh, and Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge for the original Game Boy. Uh, there's Castlevania Bloodlines, which is a rich originally released on the Sega Genesis. Hmm. And there is uh, actually a brand new NES game that uh, was never originally translated into English, but is uh, available for the first time in this collection. And that's a little spinoff game from back in the day called Kid Dracula. It even says on here it was originally released for the family computer in Japan only as Akumajo Dracula Boko Dracula-kun in 1990. Kid Dracula has been, for the first time, localized in English for this collection occasion. Hmm. So yeah, yeah. Um, you get you also have like a little bonus book thing too. You can look at through art and box art and all that, and like interviews and things. And like I was saying before, you can play the Japanese version of all the games, uh, save for um, uh, Simon's Quest slash Castlevania Two. So mm-hmm. yeah, you get you get quite a bit for your buck, especially if you're you know a big fan of like classic NES games or you know a Castlevania fan. Yeah, that. that... I see on a, I use Deku Deals the website all the time and it shows it can track the prices going back forever. But yeah, it does uh, go on sale for five bucks every uh, few months. Mm-hmm. I'll have to I know they did a that. physical release for this and I know some people, I think, I think Wudis it was limited run. I found that. Did Wudis get yeah, that? Good fucking luck getting that. <laughs> uh, you <laughs> know what? It's actually, <laughs> it's $50 on uh, Amazon. Not too bad. Yeah, that's not bad, because I think they'd probably charge, what, 35 40 maybe for that? So, yeah, a probably, little bit of a markup. Yeah. But. Yeah, I, I would recommend, um, you know, if you can get, if you want a physical collection, you can go, or the physical version, go for it. But, you know, if you can get that, get that collection for 5 bucks, you know what? It's totally worth it, because I mostly replay um, Castlevania 1 with the collection, but I have a fun time every single time doing that. And it's great to have it, because there's so many different, like, um, little... Uh, quality of life additions too, like uh you know the save state things for instance uh you have uh some filters if you want that and uh uh playing the japanese versions is actually pretty cool i think we talked about this back when we did that top 100 uh, nes games episode we did just a while ago but mm-hmm. um i talked about how with um 
Castlevania 3 in the collection, uh, it's pretty different between the North American and the Japanese versions. So it's cool to check out the differences like that with how like the sound is or, you know, what sort of a, Things are changed due to um, how they had to censor things back in the day for uh, these American releases. So, yeah, I, I would definitely say this collection is uh, well worth checking out. And um, with both Drippy and me talking about Castlevania 1, you know, I, I definitely recommend if you're looking for an NES game to give a try. That's a good one to start with. Yeah. Especially for this series, too. Like, you know what? Might as well start at the beginning. So, hey, go play the original Castlevania if you can. <laughs> All righty. Well. With our limited guest list, we've uh, already come through to the end of this episode. So I uh, guess I'll go right into the outro and say uh, that's it for this episode of Slime Time SideQuest. I want to always, as always, thank our ho- uh, guests, Matt Craft and Drippy, for joining us to talk about some scary games. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Drippy yeah, and Matt Craft. Me again. Yeah. And unlike me, who had to run through 1,000 rooms... You're all getting out of here in far less than a thousand minutes. Oh, dear God. If we ever do an episode that stretches that long, I'll be asleep long before we hit the halfway mark. <laughs> having you snore <laughs> having you snore on the podcast would both be a hilarious callback uh, to something that happened a long time ago, but also it might be a little bit scary. Well, you know what else is both a hilarious callback and most definitely scary? Patreon! Goddamn <gasps> that thing. Oh, us taking your hard-earned money... For just talking about stuff we love to ramble on and on about. That is worse than any freaking jump scare. I don't maybe even a thousand jump scares. But you know, if you've got any uh chocolate gold coins uh just melting in your pocket and uh from your Halloween candy sack, and you'd like to uh, go on and donate something to a website that's been supporting Dragon Quest fans for 25 years now. Um uh, Blue Star pointed that out the other day. 25 wow, years. That's crazy. Yeah. Go ahead and stop by the Dragon's Den at www.wudis.com slash den and click on support the site. Wudis has owned and maintained the Dragon's Den for uh, decades, 25 years now, two and a half decades. He uh, personally edits all the YouTube versions of our podcast, and I know he fully appreciates any donations to help keep the servers running there. Oh, yes. Uh, The Dragon's Den website also features... Excuse me, sorry. It features an Amazon affiliate link. Uh, if you click on the link and then make a purchase, a small fraction of the sale will go to support the den. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything, and it'll help Wudis keep the site going for another 20-plus years. Hey, maybe we'll get to the 50-year anniversary mark before we know it. My goodness, who even knew the internet was 25 years old? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, Wudis has got a Slime Time t-shirt that he designed with the logo from our resident graphic artist, Dwayne Bullock, on sale on the den. You can get that through there, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of the uh, Dragon Quest Slime Time Extended Universe, or DQ Stew, uh, you can direct comments or questions for the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at DQ Slime Time, or consider joining in on tons of DQ discussions at the Dragon's Den forums, one of the few remaining forums sites still around. Uh, find it from the Dragon's Den main page or at www com spelled W-O-O-D-U-S, by the way, uh, backslash forms. You can also find us and other Rabbit DQ fans through Barurian's officially unofficial Dragon's Den Discord server. For more Dragon Quest slime time, side quests, or tactfully die, just uh, check out the library of episodes. Uh, they're all in the Den, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Audible, YouTube, and wherever the hell you're listening to this episode. If you're listening to us, then you know where to find us. Um, go ahead. Please like, subscribe, write a review for the podcast wherever you are listening right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have any suggestions for a future SideQuest episode, we'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, you can reach out to m 3 uh, via his Twitter. <coughs> Excuse me. Via his Twitter 
or on Discord or on the Dragon's Den. You can also now <laughs> contact me, Yangus, on Twitter. Scariest part of the episode, <laughs> Yangus got Twitter. <laughs> but yes, uh, you can now contact uh, me on Twitter as well. Uh, I'm the newest twit, as uh, Platty lovingly put here in the uh, notes. <laughs> uh, you can you can uh, at me at Yangus the Legend, or you can hit me up on the Dragons Den via a personal message, or on the Dragons Den Discord, just like Platty. Uh, we have a list full of ideas uh, for episodes that we'd love to either you know, possibly revisit or new stuff that we're thinking about talking in the future. And we'd be happy to add any suggestions you might have for us. Bye, everyone. Side quest complete. Happy Halloween, everybody. Ooh. Ooh.